Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing this morning? A few of you awake. Uh, we're glad that you are here, even if you are not awake. You made it through the torrential downpour this morning. Uh, it wasn't raining that hard, but you, uh, you got up, you got out of bed, you made it here. And so we just want to celebrate that. In fact, can you also welcome those who are attending live online right now as well? Glad that you're here. Hope you connect with God Share this service live. You never know the impact you might make in somebody's life. Uh, this morning, we're finishing off a five-week teaching series called Let's Get Real. And our final topic this morning, I believe, is really the foundation, the, the, the thing that will help you do all the stuff that we've talked about as we get real about hope. Uh, do we have any dreamers in the room? Like, yeah, you like big picture dreamer? Five of you, that's great. The rest of you are like, no, the world's horrible. <laughs> it's falling apart. How many of you are not a dreamer and you do think things in our world aren't always going well? How many of you will never raise your hand for anything I ever ask? <laughs> okay, they, that's the majority. It's official. I just want to make that clear. But, you know, I, I want to talk this morning about what it's like to dream again and have hope that God could transform things in your life. I find that most of us notice in the world around us that things aren't always going very well. You don't have to look very far. You look at what's happening in Israel currently. We're going to talk a little bit about that later this morning. You look at what happened in Maine this last week. Even some of you Friends fans were discouraged with the death of Matthew Perry. It's like we can find all kinds of painful suffering in our world. Despair can set in, a lack of hope can occur, and as we talked about getting real about marriage and getting real about the different aspects of our life, if we don't have hope that those areas could get better, nothing's ever going to change. And so this morning, I want to talk about hope. I had a pastor a decade ago named Ray Johnston, I read his book called The Hope Quotient, and it talked about the number one thing he needed to make an impact in other people's lives was actually to have hope in his own. And that that would overflow to other people. And I've thought about that for years because I know in my own life there have been times where I've struggled with a lack of hope. If you wish things could be better, that you could dream again to have your best marriage, your best job, your best uh, parenting experience, sobriety, finances, free from addictive habits, whatever it is that you could hope for, I want you to begin to dream again and believe God could transform those difficulties in our life. The topic this morning is let's get real about hope. And I'm going to invite you to power on your Bibles or turn in the one in the book rack to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. And I'm going to get there, but I want to read kind of a theme verse for us this morning. Romans chapter 15, verses 12 to 13. It says this. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. It's talking about the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, fully God and fully human, that would be born into the world to be the hope for all nations. That you could experience real, tangible hope in whatever it is you're facing. Gentiles are those who are not of Jewish descent. Verse three, may the hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever recognize when somebody's been with Jesus? You can just tell something's different about them. I'm going to address that this morning because I want you to think about what it would look like to dream again for your life. What would that look like? Because in the passage that we're going to look at in Genesis 26 this morning, Isaac has every reason to give in to despair, to lack hope. In fact, he will at the very beginning. He, if you think about the lineage of Isaac, you see, uh, everything was going bad in the world, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, and your descendants will be as many as the sand on the seashore. And then Abraham has Isaac, and that hope is supposed to be fulfilled in that very lineage. And it'll happen. Isaac will have Jacob, and Jacob will have the 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel, and all of these hundreds of thousands of people will follow. But if we go to the very first son, to Isaac, there is a moment where it felt like that promise from God was never going to happen because they were broke. They had nothing. There was a famine on land. They couldn't even afford to live anymore. And they're going to go to a foreign land just to survive. Are you ready to study God's word together, church, as we get into this this morning? All right, here it goes. Uh, There was two people. So we're going to get there. I promise you. Verse one, it says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. There was a famine in the land, first of all. Have you ever, we think of famine as like starving and not having food, which it is. And I'm assuming in American culture, most likely you haven't had complete famine in your life. But you know what it's like where you feel like you're in a desert and God's not present there. Some of you may be going through a famine right now. Broken relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, broken relationships with your kids, wondering where God is, how you could get here. We're going to talk about that this morning. Isaac's going through that right now. Besides the previous famine, the the end of that verse says, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give you all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. So he's not just going to go to Gerar. He wants to go all the way to Egypt. He says, don't do it. Stay here. I'm going to provide. He's like, what are you talking about? We're in the middle of a famine. How am I going to get through this? Verse four, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give you all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Everything I promised your father is going to happen because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. I want to talk this morning about how to have hope in the middle of a famine. And we're going to pray for the miraculous to happen in this space, in this room this morning. Will you pray with me? God, there's plenty of reason today to despair. Think of what happened in Maine this last week the carnage happening in the Middle East right now in Gaza. God, uh, we pray for the miraculous this morning, that in a world uh, that often we only see despair and the broken, chaotic world that we live in, that you might bring hope, that you might transform our way of thinking, that we have not just some superficial hope, we have real, tangible hope 
Because Jesus, you died and rose again. And we could experience you at work in our life and that we're never alone. God, I know in a space like this or those attending online, there are people right now that they feel so far from you. They don't experience your presence. They walked in here. They saw people worshiping you and they just felt so out of place, God. And yet you have them right where you desire them to be. I pray, Jesus, that you might take away my words. And God, whatever you have to share to each of us individually through scripture, that it might pierce our souls this morning and transform us into the people you created us to be. We love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. I know that you probably have experienced despair before, but think about what Isaac's going through right now. His parents have died in the very land that they were promised. He's buried them. He's moved on. He's living in a foreign land. He no longer has anything. And God says, I'm not going to only provide for you. I'm going to bless you and give you more. And as we get into this, God's blessing is not always a financial blessing. And we certainly don't believe in the health and wealth gospel that you might see televangelists share online that God's blessing means that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because some of you are not wise at all. And the reality is that God's blessing can come in many ways, including his presence. But Isaac here, he owes more on, its tent, on his tent than it's worth. He's financially upside down. He has nothing to provide for his family. And God's supposed to make his descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. What in the world? Where are you at, God? Have you ever been in a place where you just wonder, God, where in the world are you? I've had it happen several times in my life. I've probably shared these stories numerous times. I've lost a a child. I, I think of the first time I really experienced despair in a way that I was scared. I, I can remember uh, when I was newly married. We had just had our first child, and my wife had a spinal headache, so she couldn't hold our son. I had never been a dad before. I had never even babysat a child before, and here I was in charge of an infant for the first week of his life. I was freaked out, and then he got sick and he started turning colors and I took him to the doctor. Turns out he's got jaundice. So I'm living in that moment too in a back house in Southern California, which sounds fancy to many of us. But if you don't know what a back house here is in the Midwest, but it means you're living in someone's garage. That's what we were living in. So I'm living in a garage with my wife and newborn child. My wife can't sit up in bed, can't take care of our son. He's got jaundice. He's turning yellow. I'm freaking out. I stay up late. I go to bed. I wake up early. And then in Southern California, torrentially downpours, like for real. And I wake up that morning and I walk out and I hear splashing in the carpet. And our little tiny living space was, had about an inch or two of water sitting in it. And I can remember just going, God, how did I get here? Where are you? Some of you have gone through the worst season of your life recently. The last few years, you lost a loved one. You had a marriage end in your sphere of influence or even your life. And you've been alone and in despair and been like, God has forgotten me. I want to tell you that he hasn't. And actually, in those moments, sometimes... God can actually build our faith the most. I've experienced firsthand how when you worship God in the midst of famine, as Isaac's eventually going to get to, 
You get to see the power and the presence of God that solidifies your faith and encourages you more. But if you're here today and you don't feel that yet, if we're getting real about hope, that you lack it and you're in despair, I want to talk about through Genesis 26 what to do when you've lost hope. Because Isaac has to by this point. The first thing is this. When you've lost hope, as we talked about last week, being authentic, you got to start with being honest. That might seem simple, but Isaac actually doesn't start with honesty. He does the opposite. He doesn't really trust that God's going to come through for him, and it almost causes some major problems in their family's life. Look at verse 7 with me. When the men of that place, he's in this other land with Abimelech, this king, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of that place will kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. First of all, can we just all agree, what a wimp, right? Come on. And how would he even come up with an idea like that that was so heinous? Except if you remember, his dad did the exact same thing. And that's often how sin works, isn't it? We pass our sin and we don't deal with it. We're not honest with it. And then we just pass it on to our kids. And then they're not honest with it. And they just pass it on to the next people. The beginning of transformation, of overcoming despair in our life and and reclaiming hope is you have to be honest about what's going on here. He, he's doing some of the dumbest things of his life because he's afraid. But in verses 8 and 9, even though, and it doesn't always work out this way, God's still going to take care of him and Rebecca, even in the middle of his sin, that like sin always does, becomes apparent and comes to light to everyone. Look at verses 8 and 9. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife? (laughs) Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. I I love the King James Version here. So he's not being honest. In the King James Version, it doesn't say caressing. It says he sees Isaac sporting with his wife. Isn't that great? Playing a little game together. And they're sporting with one another. And he looks down and he says, hey, you shouldn't be sporting with your sister. Unless you're from Kentucky, I guess. Then you can make an exception, right? But that was too low, wasn't it? Kentucky people, I'm truly sorry. Apologize to you and your sister wife. I'm so sorry about that. That's such a bad joke. But if you think about it here, like he does some really heinous things and yet God comes through from him and it's only when he begins to be honest that he's going to see God show up. We all recognize when we see someone who claims faith in Jesus, but they act ungodly. And we also recognize when we see someone who genuinely loves the way that God loves. And the difference in each of those we're going to talk about in a second is the second who is, is the person who recognizes God's presence with them. But first, let me say this. The beginning to transformation in your faith is being honest about what is going on in your life, admitting your condition before God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody in here is perfect. Everybody has sin. Everybody has guilt and shame. The ones who grow close to the Lord and reclaim hope of Jesus Christ in their life are those who are honest about it that they don't have to fake stuff, and they could admit, yes, 
I've been saying those things behind your back. Yes, I've been cheating. Yes, I've been watching things that I know are inappropriate. Yes, I've been lacking integrity at work. Yes, I have not been a good parent at home. Yes, I've been struggling internally with the questions I have about my faith, about God, about the Bible. It's people who are honest that could begin to have transformation occur in their life. Because most of us, we lack hope that things could change, and so we just live in that despair and just survive in life. You see, the second thing I want to encourage you to do of what to do when you've lost hope, one, be honest. Two, focus on God's presence regardless of your circumstances. Focus on God's presence regardless of your circumstances. Isaac, in this passage, is about to have everything change. But it was only after he was honest and began to focus on what God was doing in his life that he saw a real change begin to occur. Look at verse 12 with me in, in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. So he's in a foreign land and God says, I'm still going to fulfill my promise. You're going to have all these descendants. I know you can't see it. And he plants crops and he has a hundredfold In fact, it says, verse 13, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped filling with the earth. That They stop up his wells because they can't deny that this person is beginning to be taken care of and he's flourishing just as God promised. Now look, I'm not telling you that God has promised that if you pray this morning about your financial situation, that you're going to be rolling in the Benjamins by next week. That is a false gospel that many people preach to people who are hurting today. And it's destructive to your faith and to the faith of those around you. But what it does mean is that God is going to provide for you. And the provision he gives Isaac here, you're going to see in a second, it's not just for him. It was never a selfish faith that God just wanted to bless Isaac to make him rich. But it only happened in Isaac's life as he had to go out and plant the crops and trust that God was actually going to provide for them in a foreign land. And people begin to stop up the wells because he's so uh, wealthy. And look what happens here in verses 16 to 22. It goes on. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful. The person who had nothing is now so powerful So much change has occurred that people are afraid of him. Verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and he will flourish in the land. Some of you are like, that was way too much well discussion for me on Sunday morning. Why did I need to know that meaningless information? Time and time again, his enemies look to stop what the Lord is doing 
And God provides this well for Isaac. And then he provides the next well. And then he provides the next well. Every step of the way, building Isaac's faith to demonstrate, if you focus on my presence and not on your circumstances, I'm going to come through with for you. See, some of you are in the midst of famine in your marriage right now, and you just think it's never going to change. Because every couple I've heard when they're in a, a, a difficult season, it's always, we've always been like this. And I always just want to say, always, like 100% of every moment of every day. That's not true about any human relationship. And the reality is the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy in our life wants to give up, get you in despair, and have you lack hope that anything could change. In your workplace and feeling like you could never be a Christian because the environment you find yourself in is not one that is conducive to live for the Lord. And so you just think, well, this is how everybody lives. I can't do anything differently. I, I'll just be complicit in this. If I do some good things and the good things outweigh the bad things, then maybe, just maybe God will be okay with me. And I want to tell you, trust in the Lord that, that he will provide for you to not focus on your circumstances, but focus on his presence in your life. Isaac will do that, and God will provide for him. In verses 23 to 26, look what happens next. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. He's like, don't be afraid of everything going on around you right now. And all, they keep stopping up the wells, I know. Don't be afraid. Why? Because he made you really powerful, because he gave you weapons. No, no, no. He says, don't be afraid because I am with you. The great I am. The presence of the Lord. Don't live in despair over the relational struggles you're having. Why? Because if you invite him, he is with you. Don't be giving in to despair over the financial situation you find yourself. Why? Because he is with you. If we invite him into the hard parts of our lives, he desires to be with us. But let's get like grandiose now, because there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world. Let's look at what's happening in the Middle East right now in Israel and Gaza. And I've had some people ask about what's our theological view about end times. And while I don't have time to get into that, and that's not our message here this morning, I did want to share this, that we have to believe that, first of all, what's happening there is a very complex issue. On the one hand, we have the chosen people of God. And God said, I will make your descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. And he fulfills his promises. And on the other hand, we have a, a savior, the God of the universe, who says that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, to lay down our lives for others. And so what I think that every Christian must agree on is that we need to pray for the miraculous God of hope to bring transformation where despair is clearly seen and say there can be peace, there can be reconciliation, and there can be transformation. You see, we see world events like that, and that despair almost becomes contagious in our own lives, and we feel like that God's not really there, and he doesn't really care, and he's kind of checked out on us. And so why even bother? I'll just go through the motions of life, None of it really matters. He doesn't hear my prayers anyway. And I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. You know, one of the things that frustrates me the most was social media. And there are many things on social media that probably frustrate all of us. 
But over the last decade, there has been a mocking of Christians to say that, hey, on this particular issue, we don't need any more of your thoughts and prayers. And look, I believe when it comes to issues of justice, we need to act in godly ways and we need to take action and bring transformation, of course. But that's what we can do. What do you think God can do? He built the universe in six days, took the seventh day off because he could. He parted the Red Sea. He made the sun stand still. He brought people that thought the world was over on a boat and made them survive. He brought people who thought that we would never be free again from our enemies, and he brought Jesus to saw him crucified, resurrected from the grave, that now that God's presence could be with you, and there's nothing in this world that could ever stop you from knowing him. His power supersedes any action that we could ever take. So yes, we must take actions on injustice, but we also must pray. We must pray to the God of hope who does miracles and really changes things in our world. Look what happens next here in verse 27. See, it doesn't stop there. Verse 27 says this. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. It's like, why all of a sudden did you come here? And first they they didn't think much of him. And then they were afraid of him because he was becoming too powerful. Now they go over to the Valley of Gerar where he went away to like they asked because now they want to reconcile with him because he continues to get even more powerful. And why? Because this pagan group believes that God is with him. We've all seen when God is with somebody. I think of my grandma. My grandma, uh, when she was 19 years old, she was diagnosed with very severe rheumatic arthritis. She lived most of her adult life in severe pain. And in her uh, last days, uh, she would be in the hospital just worshiping God in her bed. At times, even singing in Pennsylvania Dutch, which she grew up with. Because her, re- her faith was so real. In her moment of despair, she didn't turn and, and get angry with God. She turned and worshiped. And Isaac, in this passage, He's going to do that very thing. He's going to build an altar and make an oath there and worship God in the midst of famine. But that's not all that's going to happen. Look, look what happens next in verse 28. They answered him, we saw clearly the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to, to be a sworn agreement between us, between you and, and us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, verse 29, that you will do us no harm. Just as we did not harm you, but always treated you with uh, well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Now, did you catch that part? There's been a famine in the land. Isaac had nothing. Had to flee, leave his own place, and go to a foreign place because he couldn't provide for himself. And now he finally has so much abundance, he's going to prepare a feast in a famine. But who's the feast for? God didn't bless Isaac so he could get rich and wealthy and hoard and then bless himself and have a giant feast for himself and his family. He has to make a big feast for who? His enemies. Only the God of the Bible could make a rich man poor so that he could bless his enemies. 
that God's provision in our life, if we focus on his presence and don't look at our circumstances, we can reclaim hope and he can transform us. And that blessing isn't always a financial blessing, but that blessing is meant to fill us up to be an overflow of an abundance for others so that we could lead them and so that they could experience the presence of God as well. I think about a a gentleman who wrote me this week who said they had rededicated his life. He had gotten baptized here. And he was telling me about his friend they'd been praying for, who was an atheist. And he, he had, for many years, he had claimed Christ and his friend was an atheist. And so he just argued with him. And they argued and argued and got nowhere. And he said, since I recommitted my life, I've instead been, you know, just praying and, and loving him the way that I experienced the love in church community. And it was through just loving this guy that all of a sudden he was like, hey, Maybe we should talk about this stuff. And it's open to Christ for the first time. I want to tell you, when you see people who mean it, who have experienced the hope and live out of the abundant presence of God, who don't get superficially hurt by every little thing that happens because we live in a broken society and they don't reflect their their self into what people are saying to them. Instead, they see themselves as a beacon of light in a dark place, a, a person to be the overflow of hope that people who are hurting and broken and lost could experience the hope of Jesus Man, that only comes when we focus on his presence and not on circumstances. And before you know it, you're making a feast for the very people you used to see as your enemies. Isaac does that very thing. And the third and final point he does is this. He focuses on others and he finds hope for himself. As you focus on others, you can often find hope for you too. Look what happens here in verses 31 to 35. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them away on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of that town is Beersheba. And, and that means the, the place of the oath or the seven. When Esau was 40 years old, he, he married uh, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, and uh, and also Basemith, daughter of Elan, the Hittite, they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. He's going to have more problems to come, by the way. We all do, right? And he gets to repeat this all over again. That's part of life. Some of you have been Christian a while, and you got through some stuff in your past. I mean, I shared a story from like 15 years ago, right? There are new things in my life now. There were new things five years ago. There's this continual cycle of having to deal with the despair and reclaiming the hope of Christ in our world. And I find that when we focus on the presence of God and allow that to overflow and to focus on others, which is exactly what Jesus told us to do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, the Shema, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Inevitably, as you provide the presence of God in your life and the hope to, uh, of humanity to other people, you begin to experience more of God's work in your life, and it restores your own faith. In fact, I would argue that the God that he, he makes this oath for in, in that, that moment, and he has this feast for, and then he worships even in the famine, that for some of us today, we don't understand the God that we serve and the depth of the hope that you have. I shared that God made the Red Sea part. He made the sun stand still. Let me talk about some practical things we've experienced just over the last 12 years of existing as a church. A three-year-old church that couldn't afford a place to meet, 
We, we figured out a way that God provided and we purchased this property. And people told us it was impossible, but I would argue only the God of the universe can make the impossible possible. When, when people told us, hey, you can't give 50% of the total giving outside the walls of the church, and we grew from 20 to 50% over the course of 10 years, and people said it was impossible. And if we send out four to 500 people in the midst of COVID, this church will no longer exist. I want to tell you, you don't understand the God that we serve. You're right. In our own work, in our own willpower, in our own action, none of that stuff makes sense. But somehow in the middle of sending four to 500 people out in the middle of COVID, by the end of the two years of COVID, this church was larger than it was when we began. After sending out 500 people, we saw God provide in the midst of hard times. And I'm telling you, it happens repeatedly. We've had marriages that ended. They're divorced, said it's all over. And then they started focusing on God in their own lives. They found healing. They got remarried. They had a kid together. And now God's in the middle of them as they serve together in the local church. I want to tell you, God can restore. There is hope. And it's the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and tell you it's always going to be like that. You're always going to struggle with the addiction. You're always going to have these habits. You're always going to have the lust in your life. It's never going to go away. And what I want to tell you is you got to start fighting back spiritually and not just with your willpower. You have to believe that the God that created you is not done with you. We have groups of um, recovery programs that uh, worship together and bust into our first 9 a.m. service. And I'm just telling you, seeing the, the people who get what it's like to be desperate for their Lord in their life. Because here's the thing, while hope encourages you and you can bring hope to others, despair is also contagious. I'm going to confess something that I don't know that I've shared in church before. I shared it at the last service. When we first started the church, we were reaching a lot of young, broken people, and including addicts. And we had two of them die. And I remember going to the funeral of one and crying with the family. And the other one, I didn't go to the funeral because I was mad. I didn't return my texts in months. I was mad at the disease of addiction. If I'm being honest, I was mad at this young man, which is so ridiculous. I had a lot of guilt and shame over that embarrassment that as a pastor, I would give in to that. But the reality is I was in despair because I was so, felt so hopeless because of what happened in this young man's life. And that's how despair works. You start having a little bit in your life, in your life, for those around you, and they have a little more despair. You watch the news. You see the images online of stuff happening. Have a little more despair. And despair breeds despair, which breeds the more despair. And before you know it, you find yourself two-inch deep water your kid having John just wondering, where in the world are you, God? And I'm here to tell you today that if you draw near to him, he desires to draw near to you. They couldn't deny that the, this man, Isaac, had been with God, and that's why he was being provided for in his life. And why did Isaac do it? Because he eventually remembered the hope that we have. And as Christians today, because Jesus was crucified on the cross, atoning for our sin, that he resurrected from the, the grave, overcoming death itself, that we have hope that we will one day spend eternity with God in paradise, and heaven and earth coming together. We have hope that my grandma who passed away is with the Lord right now. 
We have hope that those of us who feel completely alone this side of heaven, that we don't just get to have salvation eternally, that God is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit of God no longer is in the Holy of Holies, the temple curtain torn too. His presence is now in our lives if we receive the Holy Spirit. But most of us, we've experienced despair. And so that breeds more despair. And we separate ourselves from God. And the very time we need to run to him, we build walls around ourselves. It's time to bring those down. Some of us, some of you are missing out on the hope of Christ. People told us we were crazy when we said we were going to start a church in a place like Carmel, North Indianapolis, Hamilton County, and we were going to decentralize and not just make it about the worship services. We we're going to have this network of outposts that you're we going to resource things so you could live on mission. You could do Bible studies in the home and grow in your faith, hope, and love. And we were going to really empower the priesthood of all believers. They're like, oh, that's not going to really work. That really only works in small, you know, organic churches or in other countries. And I just want to tell you a lot of times when God is doing something, the enemy really wants you to stop it. When we said we want to reach a million people for Christ, there were 40 people in the room the first time I shared that vision. We've now planted 30 churches throughout the state of Indiana. It's growing rapidly now. I believe that everything that we have shared is possible, not because anything is great about any individual in this church or even in the state of Indiana, but because the God that we serve is that powerful and mighty. He, he has not given up hope on humankind. That's why he sent his only son, Emmanuel, God with us so that you wouldn't be alone. And look, there are some people, depression is real and we can get you to a, a real professional Christian counselor who can walk you with through stuff. We're not against anything. Like we want good mental health teaching. We have resources. Email us. We'll pray with you. But it begins with having the hope that things could change in your life. And that hope comes through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His power and authority is gifted to you through the spirit of God that could reside in your life now. And that's what I want to give each of us the opportunity to experience. I'm just going to close by reading this scripture passage. We start with Romans, I'm going to end with Romans. Romans 5, verse 1. This is the gospel, the good news. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, not by works, nobody can boast, by the way. You don't have to be perfect and good enough in order to receive salvation in Christ. It's through faith alone. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast. We're not supposed to be boastful people, but we can boast about this. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, our hard times, our seasons of famine, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. The end result of that suffering can be a transformative hope in your life. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. You see, at the, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, still broken, still in despair, Christ died for us. If you want to claim the hope that you have in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Will you pray with me, God? I know there are people in this room that the enemy has been winning and they've given into despair and have given up hope that things could change. 
The marriage couldn't change. The kids couldn't change. They stopped even praying or talking to you about it because what good is it going to do, God? And the enemy is winning. We want to acknowledge and be honest this morning that that is a spiritual problem first. And we want to repent of that and draw near to you. So if you're here in the room and you want to claim the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I admit my condition before you and I admit that I have done wrong, that I've sinned. I'm going to do this beautiful thing now. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And I surrender my entire life to you as Lord. I reclaim and claim the hope that I have in you, Jesus, both for salvation eternally and the hope that I have now that you're with me no matter what I'm facing. Help me to focus on your presence regardless of my circumstances. We love you, Jesus, and we give you our lives this morning and we pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.